Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Welcome back to the podcast. So we are doing the Monday through Friday podcast, if you are not familiar, and you can go and check that out at youtube.com slash csat podcast, that is C-S-A-T podcast, as in create something awesome today. So today we are going to be talking about the strategies behind dominating social media in 2022. Welcome to 2022, everybody. Now, something I wanted to kick off the podcast with today, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, the YouTube channel for the podcast actually recently got monetized at the end of 2021. And as of today, the podcast channel has earned a whopping $188.67. Not bad for about a week of being monetized on YouTube. Uh, channel currently has a $22 CPM, very nice indeed. And so uh, I just wanted to share that with you guys kind of as one of those little data dumps in terms of transparency, because there's not a lot of information out there in terms of how YouTube monetization works on a brand new channel that just got monetized. And so part of the reason I wanted to go ahead and share that with all of you is because it just helps put YouTube a little bit more in perspective. In fact, if I go ahead and if I just happen to share this on my screen for the video viewers of the podcast, sorry to all the audio only folks, but if I go ahead and if I pop this up, you can see it right here. And so the the podcast is actually doing very healthy. And so... Um, it actually is doing very well in the beginning here. And that's great. And a lot of that has to do uh, not only with its ad earning potential, but also the support of viewers like you whenever anyone does super chats. So I just wanted to show that because it's a unique thing to actually get a peek at a brand new YouTube channel's monetization when it's kind of fresh. And I wanted all of you to see how YouTube treats a brand new channel or rather a small channel that's monetized it's not really holding the channel back it just comes down to how often and consistently we actually do content because if i actually go and i look at the last 365 days of the channel you can even see um, that it doesn't really have much going on if i don't post but if i start posting youtube will promote the channel and now that it's monetized, uh, its earning potential is there even early on. And so I just wanted to share that with anybody who's a smaller content creator who may be feeling discouraged. You know, you can earn with YouTube. There are a lot of different strategies. The strategy for this channel is very different than my main channel because we do live podcast episodes here on this channel. And that's very different than just going ahead and doing your traditional YouTube upload post schedule. We also simulcast this podcast live across not only YouTube, but Facebook and Twitter and typically LinkedIn live as well. 
And we're doing that with StreamYard, which you can get uh, linked in the description down below and in the show notes. And so when we think about social media strategy, you really got to think about, well, what's my content strategy? Are you doing live video? Are you doing audio um, content? Are you doing regular video on demand post? Are you posting consistently on a schedule? Things like that. I mean, with this podcast, the idea is to go Monday through Friday with the live streams and then eventually take out the audio and then upload and distribute that across Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, all the things through our podcast hosting company. So there is a strategy. There is a method to the madness here when it comes to the podcast. And so what I, what I wanted to do is I want to talk a little bit about that because a lot of you struggle with, well, what platforms should I be on? How can I be consistent across all the platforms? And what a lot of people take for granted is the platforms each have a different purpose. Okay. So the thing is doing this podcast is a really good example. So structurally the podcast is something that I can do live for an hour to an hour and a half Monday through Friday. So that's easy pillar content, right? So that means that there's no editing that I have to do. The show is produced. I use my live switcher. I use my audio switcher. I use my video switcher. And I just produce the show in high quality. I've got my multicam set up. And that's my approach to it. You could do something similar even if you just use a couple of smartphones or if you decide to do a $1,000 camera setup with um, the Logitech Mevo cameras, you could do something like that. Use a phone or an iPad as your switcher and then you're basically in the same scenario as me with my fancy studio setup. But all that being said, this is just one example. So with the podcast, the ability exists to take this content and then chop that up into clips and put that on a highlights channel. I can also make short form vertical video out of individual segments from this from 30, 60 seconds, something like that, something smaller, if there's a good one-liner or something interesting in there. And so then that can be chopped up and that can be put on TikTok, YouTube Shorts, and on Instagram Reels. So all of a sudden we've got content off of one podcast episode that can go on these multiple different platforms. It could even go on Snapchat if we wanted to, if we cared about Snapchat. Uh, the clips, the clips that are uh, three to um, eight minute clips, those videos still done in widescreen. Those videos can exist on a YouTube highlights channel. They can be posted as individual direct uploads to Facebook and LinkedIn as pure direct uploadable content. They can be posted in IGTV on the feed and Instagram as just widescreen, lot like consumable video content. So they can be uploaded across multiple platforms. Like I said, uh, IGTV, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Facebook. If they're under two minutes and 20 seconds, they could even be posted up over on Twitter. And then you can get vertical video shorts under 60 seconds you can post that across almost all the platforms at this point. So all of a sudden, you have all these pieces of content that all comes from the fact that you started with something like a 30-minute or one-hour live stream. And this isn't just for podcasters. I mean, you could technically do this if you're doing live streaming reaction-style content over on Twitch, for example. Or even if you're doing it with YouTube and it's not necessarily a podcast, but it's a live video show interactive with your audience, you can do a very 
very similar thing. So that's your pillar content, or you could do, um, you know, produce show. You could do that pillar content, and then you have a distribution strategy across these platforms, and you're decentralizing and distributing your content. And then you're not just beholden to YouTube, and then you have content growing obvious. And the thing is, a lot of that, if you um, hire somebody to chop that stuff up, you could. It's it's mechanical. It's not creative work. It's mechanical work. You could outsource that on Fiverr. You could outsource that on OnlineJobs.ph. You could get somebody definitely as a VA type editor. They don't have to be an advanced editor because all they're doing is chopping up clips at that point that you already made from long form interviews or reactions or a show or a live stream with your audience. So that's a really direct and simple way to make content across all these platforms. But the thing is, with regard to, okay, let's say, Roberto, I'm not doing a big old live stream that I can cut up like that. It's like, okay, what about direct content? How much time do you really think? You know, Because again, the big thing everyone tells me is, Roberto, I don't have time to be on all these social media platforms. Just doing Instagram stories throughout your day does not take that long. You can be on Instagram stories every single day, and it doesn't have to take up an exuberant amount of your time in your day. And that's one platform, right? And it's allowing you to directly connect and relate to your audience. You can carve out five, 15 minutes of your day and post some Instagram stories and they don't have to be edited. They don't have to be fancy. And then it's just you having direct access with your community. Like some point in your day, you can send out some tweets. You can even automate some tweets you can send some out, you can automate some tweets, post some polls, post some questions, some images, but you can respond to the replies and you can just take out a couple of minutes in your day in the morning, afternoon, and evening, carve up 10 minutes, morning, afternoon, evening, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, 30 minutes replying on Twitter. So now you've like got that out of the way. Okay, you could be putting some stuff out there, post to Instagram every now and again, whatever that image is, like what you can't do two or three good Instagram posts in a week. You can't manage that. And then, like I said, you carve out a couple of minutes of your day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you reply to the comments on your Instagram and engage with that. So it's not even really that difficult. We're talking about the fact that I think that most of you, even if you're doing social media part-time, how hard is it to set up a couple of posts on a couple of different platforms intentionally and then carve out what 30 to 45 minutes a day just to reply to people in LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, replying to people for 30 to 45 minutes out of the day scheduled, you know, whether it's 10 or 15 minutes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, morning, noon, and night, you can't manage that. That's all it takes to really keep up with any of this. 15 minutes on your micro platforms of Instagram, Twitter, and either LinkedIn or Facebook is three platforms. You can spend 15 minutes a day on them. That's your marketing. That's your engagement with your community. That's your personal brand. That's it. And you've made content. The harder thing is if you want to do a bigger like content play like TikTok or YouTube or Twitch. And the thing is, if you want to do that, well, then maybe you have to spend 90 minutes doing some like actual content for that. Okay. And that might be a little bit different. If you make a simple enough YouTube video, cause not everyone has to make like an elaborate Mr. Beast video for you to start on YouTube um, or even TikTok or whatever to build up your personal brand. 
and you don't have to be an expert or an educator. Uh, you can still do entertainment content, but you don't have to make it extravagant. If you set yourself a, what can I record in 30 minutes or less? What can I record or make in 30 minutes or less? And what can I edit in 90 minutes or less? You don't have to do this full time as far as an eight hour day type scenario or shift. When I started on YouTube, my videos were less than an hour to edit every time I made a video. Uh, much less than that, because a lot of it was just me editing out my mistakes. There weren't a lot of graphics. There weren't a lot of screen grabs. And the thing is, you don't need to do a lot. And again, even with this live stream with the podcast, me and other live streamers have proven that you can use things like screen grabs. You can use things like screen sharing, and you can kind of you know use that to reduce the workflow of what you have to do when it comes to making good content or that you can do reaction style content, you can do commentary, you can do news, you could uh, do something where you demonstrate something in real time. And that would be a really viable way for you to make purposeful content for your community. You know, and it doesn't have to be something extraordinary, extravagant and overly edited and overly produced. I know content creators who have hundreds of thousands of subscribers get millions of views a month and they don't have hyper edited videos. Not everyone needs to be Mr. Beast. Not everyone needs to be Mark Rober. Not everyone needs to be James Johnny. You can get solid content out there. And I love those creators. And it's great that they're doing the biggest, boldest, baddest content in the land. But maybe you just don't have it like that. Maybe you don't have the time, the energy, the circumstances, the resources, or the talent. That doesn't mean that you can't be out there making content for a community that respects you, that wants to rock with you. And all you need to do at that point is just um, put stuff out there. Uh, like, And you don't have to be a huge channel to make really good quality videos and content that people will enjoy. And you don't have to go and spend an exuberant amount of money on this. Everyone thinks that needs to throw money at it or they need to do it full time or they can't make something quality. And that's because they're judging YouTubers who've already made, they're judging themselves against YouTubers who've already made it. Rookie creators have no business doing that. People are overthinking this stuff. There's plenty of content on YouTube that I'm sure is not like the most hyper edited over the top thing, you know, in the world. I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's content out there that's not necessarily like that. I mean, to be very real with you, um, some of my favorite content is from creators that are not doing um, super heavily edited content. I mean, a really good example is probably like Nate O'Brien. Like, whoops. Sorry, I ended up on a Gary V video that's like, which doesn't shock me like at all. Hang on one second. Directly from a Nate O'Brien video. But like Nate O'Brien's content is a really great example. Nate O'Brien's content is not hyper edited. It's really solid. It's good, just information. Um, he has a great personality on camera. And it's just one angle, one scene, a very minimalist background. And he makes good content and he's crushing it. He has like one point, he has like 1.1 million subscribers. Um, you know, it's this couple of screen shares. It's a couple of very simple graphics up on the screen. And he's just talking directly to his audience, very candidly, very directly. These are, these are videos that you could be making. 
like you could be making videos that are just really solid and they don't have to be over the top videos or content. The same thing even with Graham Stephan. Graham Stephan's content is not so hyper overly edited. There's like, you know, there's some memes, there's some stuff in there, but you could do efficient work. I still think probably they're taking too much time on the editing where Graham's content is concerned sometimes. But again, efficient work is going to be the most practical thing. I mean, even Meet Kevin, Meet Kevin, his content is almost more live stream type produced content using graphics and a switcher. He's using like a rolling switcher. He's, use, he's using a more advanced version of my uh, live stream setup to essentially kind of edit while shooting for his videos and he does multiple videos a day and he's killing it a lot of people scream quality over quantity until the cows come home but it's like that doesn't work out for everybody and not everyone has the resources not everyone has the ability to make that work it is not practical for everybody to take a quality to quantity approach that's not for everybody some creators would benefit from making very efficient videos very consistently showing up for their audience and being like a daily news channel a daily reaction channel a daily live streaming channel like that would be practical look at twitch twitch is a really good example of where it doesn't have to be quality over quantity and that it's more about community right? It's more about community. It's more about connection. Twitch streamers are not making videos that are as polished. And this is no disrespect to Twitch streamers. Twitch streamers, streamers do not make as high-end, high-quality, produced, edited content as YouTubers. They can't. They live stream. They even eat their meals on stream and just talk to and relate to their audience. And you're spending all day essentially with somebody almost like you'd spend your day with a friend, okay? And that content is crushing it those creators are making so much money, not even the biggest ones to have a full-time job just by having a community. So you have great streamers out there. You got people like Miss Click. You got people like Inferno Omni. You've got uh, people like Ludwig. You've got, um, you know, Amaranth. You've got like all these different streamers out there. And you got people like uh, my friend CKC. You have different communities, different content, different styles of doing things. And the thing is, I think that a lot of content creators, even a lot of marketers, they look at the top, they look at Mr. Beast, they look at Gary Vee, they look at the biggest person they can think of, and they ignore that you don't have to be a clone or a one-off of the biggest, baddest people in the land. You can find and carve out your own little kingdom of, of um, a community and you could just basically show up every day. And that would actually, in many cases, be enough to be successful. And a lot of people take that for granted, that co consistency and being part of a community could put you in a position to where the connection is more important than making over-the-top content. You know, people fantasize about this idea of making over-the-top content. They fantasize about making this huge, elaborate, television-like thing when there are plenty of people watching content that doesn't look like that. And so I think that the biggest thing you could do in terms of content strategy, if you want to dominate social media in 2022, is like, well, what would working with what you have look like? What's the best you could do? Not what's the best anybody could make out there. What's the most challenging, most difficult, most insane, elaborate thing that somebody is capable of making? What can you do with the resources you have to make something that you would enjoy watching if you were a stranger? What can you make that somebody might enjoy and that somebody 
might um, make a priority in their day. Somebody might like, carve out a piece of their day to be a part of the community that you're building. How, what would that look like? What would building a community that people say, you know what, I, I, this is part of my day. This is part of my ritual. This is part of my routine. What would that look like? And so that's something I think about. That's something that made me want to come back to doing the, the podcast. I do edited videos on my main YouTube channel. But to be honest with all of you, I actually enjoy doing the podcast more than I enjoy making edited, recorded videos for my main YouTube channel. I still love doing videos for my main YouTube channel. We had a great video come out uh, just today. And this was a video about um, you know, YouTube strategy for 2022, how to build a successful channel, how to get a channel to earning like $1,000 a month, how to get it monetized, why getting 10,000 subscribers makes you successful, uh, that sort of thing. And so uh, the, what, what really I think is important is understanding how you can be successful from the position of, well, what does my resources look like? What does my time look like? The creators that have these massive videos, they're throwing hundreds of hours of their time and their team's time. They're throwing teams of five, 10, and 15 people at this content. You don't have that, so stop fantasizing. Work with what you have. Work with what you have. You realize how many bedroom content creators there are that have like a million subscribers doing basic content. You realize how many people have a million Twitch followers streaming from their bedroom and not making edited produced content that they have to throw like a hundred grand at to make a video, 10 grand at to make a video. People who literally, once their setup is done, they're spending zero dollars to make a video. They're getting direct support from their community. They're getting sponsors. They're doing this. They're making a full-time living and they're showing up every day. And that's what they do. They show up every day or they show up on a schedule, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Monday through Friday, or whatever it is, or on the weekends. They're doing the best they can with what they have, where they are, with what they know. And see, that's the key to all of this. It's like, well, what do you know? What do you know and what can you do? Not like, oh, how do I you know, become the next Mr. Beast or how do I become the next Gary Vee? It's like, no, how do you make the most of what you're capable of. How do you make the most of your skill sets? How do you make the best out of your talent? How do you make the best out of the gear that you have? You know, that's that's the thing. And making $1,000 a month, it sounds extravagant, but it's not even unreasonable at all. We're talking about making like, what, $35 a day if it was every day? Or if you're uh, doing like Monday through Friday or something like that, we're talking about uh, 20 days. So like, what are we talking about, $50 a day? All right, one way or another. You can do that freelancing. You could work your way up to that through um, affiliates or ad revenue or selling merchandise or selling a product. There's all kinds of ways to get to $1,000 a month. Uh, I did with affiliate marketing at the start. YouTube ads took longer for that to work out. This channel, this channel probably can get there for sure before the end of the year. I think before the end of the year, this channel can get to you know a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, it's it's. But on a live streaming channel, the good news is like things like fan support, super chats, super stickers. Like when people like donate. Uh, one or two dollars super chats it all adds up when people do five dollars super chats it all adds up and it's all appreciated but on top of that there is ad revenue there are things like that you know there are things like affiliate links those things definitely help but if you build a community of like fans who are dedicated to you then on occasion getting like a five dollar super chat or a ten dollar super chat well a couple of those add up and when that adds up that ends up getting you a lot closer to whatever your goal is. And then you can make that sustainable and consistent over a period of time. 
And so there's a point where it can become more practical than say even a nine to five job. Hey, what's up? We got technically T here on the live stream. What's up, man? Literally looking forward to um, our next chat, man. Like whenever we get to do that, I think it's going to be super helpful. Uh, congrats on crushing it back in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. T is great. He was freaking crushing it. Um, we got Jeff, we got El Jefe reviews in there. Hey brother, what's up? Jeff says, I used to think that 1k a month on my channel was not achievable. Glad I was wrong. Yeah. No, Jeff is crushing it. Jeff is, I'm not going to speak for Jeff, but Jeff is, uh, pulling in thousands of dollars a month as a result of being a content creator. And it's not even close. Um, you know, and this is what's possible for people. A lot of people don't realize this, but you really do need to think about, well, what's my strategy? And one of the things I will tell all of you is that I still believe YouTube's the best platform. I know that a lot of people are super getting into TikTok. And we talked about an episode of this podcast where we talked about how TikTok in some regards is crushing YouTube, but YouTube is still the best platform for creators because it's the most monetizable platform creator for creators. After YouTube, in terms of the most profitable, easy to monetize platform for creators. I'm going to say it's Twitch. I'm going to say it's Twitch. So I think that your strategy, if you want to be a full-time creator, is you go to Twitch or YouTube. You go to Twitch or YouTube. Twitch is faster to monetize. YouTube is better to monetize. And then after that, in a distant third, it's TikTok. TikTok doesn't pay nearly as much, but boy, can you blow up. And if you blow up on TikTok, you might be able to get brand deals. And you might be able to even pull some of that into your Twitch or to your YouTube. So the thing is, I truly believe in being a multi-platform creator. And I think that everything stems from you're either leading with YouTube, Twitch, or TikTok right now. I, I really believe that. I believe that you go and you build your hardcore fan base, you build your true fans, you build either um, from YouTube, TikTok, or Twitch, one of those three. Monetization is faster on Twitch, monetization is better on YouTube, but audience growth is by far faster on TikTok. So in terms of more versatility in monetization. I think you have more versatility in monetization, more opportunities to monetize on YouTube, and I don't think it's even close. I think the fastest path to fans supporting you with their wallet is Twitch. And then after that, I think you can get sponsors by growing a big audience on TikTok. And so that's the game here. But even if you do Twitch, you should be doing Twitch and then uploading your VODs, your video on demands, uh, to YouTube afterward. And even if you do TikTok, I think you should then either be building YouTube and trying to get the audience to support you there. Or if they want to interact with you, I think you become a Twitch streamer. I think you go TikTok and you become a Twitch streamer or vice versa. Okay. I would do that. Or I'd be doing YouTube. I would be doing YouTube and TikTok, or I would be doing Twitch and TikTok. That's what I would be doing. I'd be doing YouTube and TikTok as my primary platforms or Twitch or TikTok as my primary platforms. And then I would also make sure that fans can reach me and I can network with other creators by being on Twitter. And that's really what you do in terms of if you really want, I'm going to probably make a diagram of this, to be honest with you, because like, I feel like this should be an infographic of like, you know, picking your path and how it works. But I really think it should be like an infographic because I really think what you should be doing, in my opinion, is you can be on if you could have YouTube as your primary platform. I think you should also be making short form content for TikTok and trying to use its viral uh, capabilities. Okay, so I think if you your main thing is you want to be a YouTuber, you can still take advantage of TikTok. If your main thing is you want to be a TikToker, though, if you want to blow up on TikTok, I think you should be with your community 
by being a live streamer on Twitch. And I think if you're a live streamer on Twitch, you should be uploading your VODs to YouTube. And then you should also try and see if you can win over a fan base on TikTok. And regardless of which platform you're on, I still think you should have a Twitter. I still think you should have a Twitter. And as much as it sounds like, okay, this is overwhelming, that sounds overwhelming. I still think for some of y'all, y'all should have an Instagram, especially if you're either fit, if you're fit or you're attractive or you're, uh, or you have an interesting lifestyle or aesthetic or a personality, you should lifestyle content your way using Instagram stories and taking selfies and taking snapshots. And it's not even that bad. It'll take 15 minutes of your day. That's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be crazy. 15 minutes of your day, let people have a peak of your life, let people feel close to you behind the scenes on your Instagram have Twitter so people can get in touch with you. And so that you have um, networking capabilities with other creators and brands and you don't have to be in Twitter all day and just like, you know, do it. Like there's a little running joke um, in Twitter. There's a running joke. Um, and my friend, John Prosser is like a big uh, one who kind of probably started this. He makes the joke that uh, hashtag toilet squad because he makes the joke that everybody just tweets while they're in the bathroom. And it's like, it's probably true. It's to be funny with you. It's probably true. You know, so um, Twitter does not have to consume your life, although a lot of people do let it control their life uh, to pull a Yoda impression real quick. Hmm, once you go down Twitter, consume you at will. You know, so, yeah, um, Twitter might be the dark side. Hmm, consume you at will. <laughs> you know, like, so, yeah. Um, like. Twitter is very much mm, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Yeah, it's a very Twitter is very much that, right? Uh, Twitter is the dark side of the force. <laughs> you know, um, it yeah, for real. But it has its benefits. It has its moments. It has its perks. Okay, so Twitter, um, I think, can be worth it. Just don't uh, bother getting into arguments or blood feuds with people on Twitter because that's not worth it. So. So what I would say is you could uh, you should definitely minimize the amount of Twitter that you use, consume and engage in. But you can build some of your best friendships and relationships there, too. You could also make your worst enemies. <laughs> um, Instagram peek behind your life. You know, let your community see you as a human being. Let that platform humanize you connect with your audience you know, you could be on Twitch as a streamer. I mean, I think YouTube live streaming is definitely going to be powerful in 2022. They're adding so many features, but there's still a community and there's still people who want to do Twitch. And like I said, Twitch is the fastest one out of these to start getting paid from. Twitch is one of the fastest ones where you can start getting paid because your community can start supporting you because you can become a Twitch affiliate pretty easily. It's pretty easy to become a Twitch affiliate and start getting paid. Very easy um, compared to YouTube. You can obviously get monetized on YouTube. I think being a streamer on YouTube is a good way to get monetized um, relatively quickly by comparison, um, unless or until they lower the monetization requirements. On my main YouTube channel, I've done a lot of content that focuses on YouTube monetization, the process for getting monetized, how to get the 1,000 subscriber requirement, how to get the 4,000 hours of watch time, and how to start earning that way. Um, you know, becoming a Twitch affiliate is pretty straightforward and it's not even that uh, difficult by comparison. TikTok again is the creator fund. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the qualifications for that is 10,000 followers. 10,000 followers isn't that bad, but it can seem overwhelming with TikTok, even though you grow fast on TikTok and go fast as hell on TikTok if you just go daily and it's short form content. So, there, you know, there's 
there's a there's a practical path for all of this, but TikTok pays so little. It pays so little that in my opinion, if you're if money's a concern, value effort on monetizing, it's either Twitch or YouTube. But because people get validated by seeing their content performance, seeing that they're getting views and seeing that they're getting followers, they feel like their effort. I see big YouTubers all the time get super into TikTok and caught up because they're like, wow, I got to 10,000 followers on TikTok in my first month. It took me years to do that on YouTube, blah, 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 blah. And so they get super into TikTok when it's like, but you're making all this money on YouTube. But they're so excited about the fast growth that they can't seem to help it. Like TikTok is uh, a quick, easy dopamine for people. Even established creators are seduced by TikTok. It's like, you know, they're seduced by TikTok. Um, you know, just like, you know, because it's a quick and easy path. <laughs> you know, again, another Star Wars analogy there. It's the quick and easy path. And so um, the views, the subscribers, the clout, seduced by the clout. <laughs> yeah, they're seduced by the clout. And that's what attracts people to TikTok more, especially these days. Because, you know, YouTube gets depressing for a lot of people if they put in all this work, put in all these hours to see very little on it. Monetarily, though, YouTube's the best opportunity, and it's not even close. Um, with Twitch, it's a grind, but at least if you have a community, you know, you can start earning. So people, um, you know, there's still a community in Twitch it's worthwhile doing. And again, the streaming aspect of it, some people feel like, there's just less saturation per se in Twitch. So they feel confident that they can build there. So that's another reason that people go to Twitch. So from a strategy standpoint, I think you have to look at your situation because the thing is you could, um, you know, if you don't like editing, then Twitch and TikTok allow you to make content in a way where it's like you go, oh, well, I don't like editing, right? And technically, you could do that with YouTube and with live streaming on YouTube. I mean, that's why I do with the podcast here. And that's why I like the podcast better because I like editing, but I'm not in love with it anymore. Like, you know, me and editing have reached that point in our marriage after all these years. I've been doing, I've been doing video editing since I was a kid. So um, after decades in my marriage with editing, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have the same passion uh, and the same like romance that we had when I was young, <laughs> you know? So um, my infatuation and head over heels whirlwood romance with editing, we're in a very, very like stable relationship. Uh, the embers aren't there. And that's why, um, you know, I'm sitting here looking at streaming a little bit harder, like, hey, what's up? You know, um, so yeah, so that's where, so that's where we're at. <laughs> that's where me and editing are at. Me and video editing, we're not on the rocks, but you know, we're introducing something new into the relationship. <laughs> so yeah, so that analogy I think has run its course there. I think that analogy has run its course. That being said, you have to actually know what you're comfortable with, and not everybody editing is like the biggest bottleneck for some people to the content creation. So I think that for a lot of you, the answer is streaming or short form content, because then you're not going to be overwhelmed by the editing. You're not going to like, you know, be frustrated. You're not going to be exhausted by it. And then your effort value ratios in terms of how much work you're doing and how much reward you're seeing won't feel as, um, you know, it won't feel as lopsided sometimes in the early days. And so that will make a difference for a lot of you.
Yeah, in my opinion. Like, that's what I think about it. So in terms of, you know, well, what strategies? Okay, Roberto, well, like, how do I grow? How do I get more uh, engagement than a bigger audience? It's like, I think, honestly, a lot of you underestimate building a brand. So many of you are, like, looking to grow an audience. But it's like, well, what's that audience even getting? What's that audience get to be a part of? What's the community? What's the What's being in the community? What's being in the community really look like? What's the perks of being in the community? What is even the community, right? What are they getting out of it? What What's the experience? What's that like? What What does the community stand for? What does your brand stand for? What is the content? What How is it meaningful? What are they a part? What are they being a part of? What's the mission here? What's the, like, because here's the thing. If you've been down with Mr. Beast for this entire time, you've been part of the journey to becoming the biggest YouTuber. Same thing when PewDiePie was on that thing, like, PewDiePie and Mr. Beast had these big audacious goals where you were being a part of something. You also had a community that you knew you were a part of as a fan. So it was like being a, a fan of um, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like back in the day, it would mean something if you were like a Lincoln park fan, right? Back in the day, it meant something to be like a Lincoln park fan. Okay. So it meant something to be an Eminem fan. All right. So you were part of a community and there was a culture behind that. And there was a vernacular. There was a slang to being there was a slang to being a Lincoln Park fan. There was a slang to being an Eminem fan. There's a culture. OK, a lot of you, you say you want to grow an audience. You haven't even defined what being part of your community would look like for somebody. Like what's your val what are the values? What is the brand? What is the experience of doing that? So like one of the things that I try to create in terms of a value proposition experience is like, I mean, I haven't been on it the like because of the last two years with COVID have been rough. But one of the things that you used to get by being part of my community is you knew you'd get both quality and quantity. You know you'd get well-produced, thoughtful video content, and you'd be getting it on a pretty regular basis more than most people. And for a long time, that was true. And then, you know, COVID kind of kicked my butt on that. Pandemic kind of kicked my butt on that. So I ended up slowing down tremendously on the consistency part of it. Okay. Now, the other thing is, you know that if you're a part of my community, you know that you can be in the comment section and that you're going to be pretty safe there because I filter the comments a lot um, in terms of keeping it clean, keeping it respectful. One of the other things you know is if you are consuming the content on my main channel, you know that if you're a teacher, you're an educator, you're a parent, you're getting clean content. You know, you have an alternative to getting good information, but let's say you can't watch someone like, say, Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, because of the cursing, or that's not appropriate to where you are at work or at school or with your kids or whatever. It's like you can put my content in front of people of all ages and not be fearful of what's going to happen. And so that's like something I strived for was to make my content available in that way so that anybody could feel comfortable and feel safe to watch my content. So that's something that I thought was really important, at least like to me, because I'm like, okay, if everybody's going to follow this trend of being edgy, then that excludes a lot of people from being able to access the information because that edginess might be a barrier to entry for people. So that's one aspect of, okay, what it means to watch my content is that, you know, Hey, this is going to be safe for work. You know, this is going to be clean, it's safe for work, safe for school, safe for home. It's fine. So you know that. One of the other things is um, 
you know, I strive to make um, the best overall value, valuable content in terms of the information and the quality of the information, but also the quality of experience when it comes to the the lighting, the video, the audio, uh, you know, the lighting, the video, the audio, the editing, the production aspect of it. So you know that you know you're also going to have well articulated information. So like these are things that I looked at is like what is the value. What is the substance of what I'm making, who it's for, how it can be consumed? This is something that was very, very important to me. So, and I wanted the accuracy of the information. And the thing is, frankly, I, I wanted to avoid making clickbaited or exaggerated content. And I, it's hard because so much in education and learning content is now just watered down because people just want views and they want to make money so much that education content on YouTube is all sensationalized. It's all watered down. I mean, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that to call people out. I'm just saying it is what it is. People want to see their numbers go up. And as a big YouTuber, it gives them credibility. It gives them validation. It makes them feel good. A lot of them grew up watching YouTube at this point. So they just like have to shoot for that because that's what for them being a YouTuber is, is that's what you do when you're like me. I lived in a world before YouTube existed. And the thing is, I kind of genuinely want to um, really make the the value that a viewer gets the priority more than I care about how many views I could get. Like, just like anybody, I wish my content was getting more views. I would love for my content to get more views. I'm not willing or excited to do that at the expense of making what is viewed less valuable in its substance and less valuable as an educational experience, you know, and it's hard because it does undermine me getting the most out of the content to be very real with you. It does undermine me getting the most out of the content. And so it's a, it's a harder compromise. And even with this podcast, by the way, there's interesting things. So like primary example, um, this podcast is right now, I actually just checked something. Right now, they actually limited the uh, monetization ad-wise. I'm going to have to appeal this. This is going to take maybe 12 to 24 hours to appeal. I'm going to have to appeal this because now for the ads, it has ads, but it's now in a limited status. So it's got that yellow dollar sign. So it might not even make much in terms of ad revenue for that example. So like sometimes you run into a situation where you're trying to make something valuable, trying to make something useful, and you're like, hey, it may not get the views but is it going to be good content? And then, Hey, maybe it'll make money and that'll balance things out because some content that gets a bunch of views doesn't get a bunch of money. A lot of education content now makes views and money. And so that's kind of the rub there, but you know, but it's like, okay, well, the thing that balances that at least with live streams is technically if you run into a situation where maybe you don't make money on the ads, you can make money on things like the super chats. So that's the good news. If people end up doing that, uh, by the way, it's not something people are obligated to do is to super chat to creators, me or anybody else. You're not obligated to do that or to donate. But it's one of those things to where content creators that I know that um, they have to always balance this equation, right? So a lot of the people I know who make viral content, they don't always make nearly enough on their ads because they end up with copyright claims or they end up demonetized. And so for a lot of them, what they do is they'll take on sponsors, but then 
they get complaints sometimes from the audience about the content being sponsored and, oh, you sold out, or why is this, you know, you got a 90-second ad read in here, even though it's like 15-minute content, right? You got a 90-second ad read and it's 15-minute content. There's, there's no way to literally check every single box. You can get very close sometimes if you work hard enough, but there's no version of checking every single box of making what you want to make, making it the way you want to make it, making it as monetizable as possible, and getting as many views out of it and as much. There's no version of getting it perfect. I haven't seen it not even once. There's always some kind of compromise or some kind of trade-off or, or something, so like that is something that I want to be upfront with a lot of people that there's always an issue of some kind, no matter what you do as a content creator, there will always be, you cannot check every single box and that's okay. That's okay. You just have to understand what it is that you hope to get out of a baseline. And then also that like, not every video needs to do everything and not every platform needs to do everything. And not every platform needs to do the same thing. And that's part of why, even when I say we'll do these multiple social media platforms, right? It's diversifying the experience within your brand. Like I said, Twitter is a place where my audience and my community can directly reach out to me. You guys know I'm very accessible in Twitter and that you can get a response. So the fastest, easiest response is Twitter. If you aren't in a live stream, but streaming is where I have the deepest, most meaningful connection with my audience. And so that's important. Instagram is where you can get a peek behind the scenes at either my lifestyle or my business. So it's behind the scenes of either or both of those things. For me, the two things are very closely related, right? So there's that aspect of it. And that's why it makes sense to be in multiple platforms. When you have a streaming scenario, that's real-time engagement, that's community building, that's depth of relationship, that's getting to see you and know you when you're not edited, when you're not scripted. And that's important for a deep connection with your audience and authenticity and relationship building and community building. And so then in terms of recording content, recorded content, and the reason it's valuable, even if you're a streamer, to do your video on demand content and have those v, uh, those video on demand VOD replays. I mean, one of the things is as we grow the podcast channel, we're going to start doing the highlights channel. That's going to be a little bit later this year. We're stockpiling content for that. But we're going to be doing the highlights channel for clips and shorts, and we're going to scale that. And the reason is because of replay value and because of scale from video on demand. We also leave the live streams up afterward, and we get some replay value on that in video on demand. That also increases the earning potential. But the thing is, I think we're going to wait till we you know, um, are in a more sustainable like path in terms of, one, having more content, the back catalog prioritizing getting the audio part of the podcast out more consistently and catching up on the back catalog as we go Monday through Friday. But then we're going to get the highlights channel going. And because we have a Monday through Friday podcast, we're going to get to a place to where we could upload a video probably every single day on the highlights channel um, and have it scheduled and be consistent there. We can probably upload a clip and a short almost every day because we're just making so much content once we get the process, once we get the process down. So like for us, that's what's going to happen here. And so um, with me and my team, that's what we're really looking at doing to scale. Because you like for me, you have the live audience interaction. That's the connection. That's the community. That's the deep. That's the depth. That's the depth part. 
the clips from the video on demand and the YouTube shorts and the TikTok post and the Instagram reels, that's with. So we get deep with the podcast because it's long form, it's unscripted, and it's community driven and it's live. That's depth of relationship. And then reach and exposure is width. And that's what individual clips in context of like, okay, that's a good clip. That's a good soundbite and shorts. That's what that's for. That's for width. That's for broad appeal. That's for reach. That's for awareness. And so that's for brand reach. And then this is depth. So we get depth and width and that's the plan. And that's what makes sense. So that's the way that, you know, we're building out that strategy. But in terms of the dominance of your overall brand, you need to be thoughtful about it. You need to be like, well, who is the audience? I mean, this audience, it's in the intro. It's like this for like creative entrepreneurs, content creators, anyone who cares about the creator economy. You know, so this is for streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, TikTokers. It's not for everybody, but it is for the thing that we all do. We're trying to monetize our creativity. So it's purpose-driven. It's like, are you trying to make money as a creative pro? And the answer is yes, I want to take a creative thing that I do and I want to monetize it. I want to grow it. This show is for you. That's the proposition here. This show is for you then. Let's go. Or if you're invested in me, Roberto Blake, well, then this show is for you if you're a fan of my other content from all my other platforms. If you're a fan, then this show is for you. So it's like we have a very, very simple approach to what the demographic is. Here's what you're trying to accomplish or you're a fan of mine. That's it. So it's really straightforward. Even the main channel, it's somewhat straightforward. It's, it's been fragmented over the years, but it's kind of like a straightforward thing there too. Um, it's not like my friends. It'd be easier if I was like my friends where my channel was about growing YouTube channels, but my channel is really about the opportunity of being a creator because I'm going to do more content on the main channel that gets back to some of my roots. There will be more there will be more content on the channel that's video editing related, for example, because that's a skill. I want to get back to, okay, skills you can use to make money with your creativity because you can make video editing work whether you're a content creator for yourself or working for a company or working for another creator or working for a brand. You can make money with video editing. And it's a skill, and I've done thousands of videos, and I'm good at it. So teaching that skill is meaningful, and that's evergreen content. It's really monetizable. It makes sense, and that's the root of the channel the channel started with teaching software like video editing software graphic design software so that makes sense to do um doing roundups of here's the top tools so it's like tips tools tutorials makes total sense and that's kind of the framework my channel has always had tips tools and tutorials has always been my thing but it's framed around well if you're doing this that makes you a creator now doesn't it because you don't need these tools for the most part if you're not a creator right you don't need these tutorials and you don't need this tech for video editing or graphic design if you're not a creator, right? You don't need this microphone if you're not a podcaster or a streamer, right? So it, so you have to think about, well, what makes sense and what are the pillars of your content? And the pillars of my content are uh, tips, tools, tutorials. So I can do a roundup of here are your tips, here's a step-by-step -step process, or here's a tutorial on a thing, or here are the tools you need to accomplish this goal. And that's, the, and that's what it is for me. And that's what the main channel is. And that's what makes sense. And then the podcast is a deep dive into 
the rabbit hole of, well, how do I think about this? How do I look at this? What do I think about this thing? Or here's a topic of the day, or here's this thing that community wants to talk about. Here's the other thing. By the way, you guys get to decide the content for the podcast. I'm outsourcing the content for the podcast to you guys. I have a lot of ideas for the podcast, but guess what? You guys get to control the podcast. From now on, if you guys want to control the podcast, every single day, I'm going to tweet in Twitter and I'm going to be like, hey, what do you all want me to talk about this week? Just follow me on Twitter at Roberto Blake. You tell me what you want me to talk about. You tell me, hey, I want you to cover this on a top podcast or here's a story or here's something going on or here's something I want to know about. And I will put it in the show from now on. I will literally put what you guys want to talk about from Twitter into the show on the podcast and you guys can control the show. I, I will happily turn the show over to the audience. That's the goal here. That's a real content strategy, by the way. So Coffee Talk in Tech, thank you for the $5 super chat. Coffee Talk in Tech says, thanks for getting positive energy and thoughts flowing. Glad to help. I'm glad to give you your daily dose of positivity. Um, and so, yeah, I'm like, I'm here. I'm like, I'll just give it to the fans, right? I can literally give, and this is what I did in the early days of my main YouTube channel, by the way, even before I had 500K subscribers, I used to just ask people in the comments, what questions they have. And I started then putting that at the end of my videos. So I started putting question of the day at the end of every video. And then the comments would come in and come in and come in, even when I had a smaller audience. And then on top of my own ideas, I'd never run out. And I have this endless idea bank. I have an infinite content. Um, I have an infinite idea engine. I have an infinite idea engine because I use my fan base to crowdsource ideas so that I can make what you think is valuable what you think is valuable, and I can respond. Oh my God, we just got the biggest super chat in the history of this podcast. This is tremendous. So I wanna definitely uh, read this one out loud. So we got Colob James with a $100 super chat. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he's got a very impressive profile pick there. Roberto, I can't wait for the 2022 growth for you and what you have coming. Love the blunt but true advice never change. Thank you, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much, my friend, for the $100 super chat. That is the biggest we've gotten on the channel so far. And then we got Hill North coming through, not to be outdone, with a $10 super chat. So I appreciate you, Hill North. Thank you for that. I always see you in the comments. I always see you in the comments. So, I mean, that's the power of community right then and there, ladies and gentlemen. And again, not everyone supports with their wallet. Some people support with their eyeballs. And that always helps, too. That helps scale your brand. But guess what? You don't have to be – it's Caleb James. Thank you. Yep. Um, and your YouTube channel, I guess, is Get Business Credit. Oh, Lord, not to be outdone. World, according to Briggs, decided to one-up that with $101. We have a bidding war. We have a bidding war going on right now, apparently, um, in the live of this podcast. We have a bidding war. World, according to Briggs, did a $101 super chat. I started watching you when I had 300 subs. I've learned so much uh, from your channel. Thank you. Dude, I appreciate that. That's insane. That's insane, but this is what happens when you have um, a passionate audience. This is what happens when you have like true fans, even before you get to your 1,000 super fans. Even if you have 100 true fans, look at what's possible. I mean, that's insane, and I thank you. I super appreciate that. That means the world to me, but this is what's possible when you do the work, you show up, you're consistent. If I didn't come on stream tonight, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen if I don't come on strip to like, oh my God, it is a bidding war. <laughs> so Caleb James did 150 and says, get business credit is my channel. You did a channel review on me. Love you, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Caleb James. I really do appreciate it. So 
And World According to Briggs, by the way, has over 700,000 subscribers. So these are some of the success stories from um, our community here. And so, um, but again, like I said, that what just happened just now, this is insanity. This is, this is straight up insanity. Um, it's about like 300 and $66 in super chats alone. Just like in one night, we just outpaced or doubled the amount of money this channel has earned up until now. So like the next time I'm on, if YouTube has tallied the revenue, the next time I'm on, I'm reading a very big number at the beginning of the podcast in terms of how much money the podcast has made. Oh, dear Lord in heaven. So Busy Work Beats just did a $199 super chat, which is this has now reached um, the levels of absurdity. But thank you for that busy work beats, says Big Dog, and then he's got um, two eagles in there. So the, the insanity of this is I would not have made the $566 or so that happened during this live stream through fan donations alone, if you're listening to this podcast, if I didn't show up and do... <laughs> All right, you guys are going to have to stop Super Chats. I don't have a way to turn off Super Chats because now um, Caleb James did another bidding war and uh, threw a $200 super chat guys. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't set up for this and I didn't try to manufacture this, but my point is uh, this insanity that's happening right now would not happen if I didn't show up and if I wasn't committed to doing the Monday through Friday podcast. And so we have another super chat, by the way, for coffee talk in tech uh, with a $10 super chat says from zero to 1200 subs this year. It okay. It's just 10 bucks, but I love this, but no, I really appreciate the support. Um, I really love all of you guys. Um, and this is great, but you guys can calm down on the super chats now. Um, I, I did not think this would happen, especially not on the, I mean, again, the podcast has, um, I think, um, like 1700 like subscribers, but it, this is literally a kind of a 1000 true fans thing. And we have people who show up all the time, like Mr. Camera Junkie, uh, technically T, um, Gabe, Altier, uh, Mel, Cinco. We have, you know, um, Elliot, Family of Seven, Malevolent Elephant. We have a lot of people here in the community that show up all the time. And this is just, this is just, um, this is super humbling. And this is like really, like, I'm, I'm really just humbled and blessed by the community of people that I do have and the support that I do have. Um, cause again, I wasn't expecting this and I didn't really, I didn't prepare for that. I was not emotionally prepared for this. <laughs> so thank you, um, everyone. I really do, um, appreciate it. Just, I mean, um, uh, where's a, I think I have like a soundboard effect I can do for this. So thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, that's just, um, wow. <laughs> all of that said, all of that said, Okay, you guys really do have to stop now. We got uh, Busy Work Beats with a $299 super chat that just put us over $1,000 on this one stream. So um, $1,000 on this stream, uh, $1,000 in this stream in one night. That shows all of you, if you've ever underestimated the potential of the creator economy, if you've ever underestimated the potential of having loyal fans, of having um, a fan base that you've created value for, people who respect what you do, people who are entertained by you, or they respect you and the information that you're putting out, or the community that you've built, the, the care that you've put into that, you see how it can make a difference in what it can do and how people can come through for you. And um, that's just that's just crazy. Um, those of you who um, did 
super chat on the stream. If y'all are in Twitter, uh, DM me between tonight and tomorrow. Um, I want to do something nice for y'all. I really do. Um, cause this is, this is insane. And this was like a real true blessing here. And I'm like, I'd be speechless if I didn't have to finish the show. <laughs> I'd be speechless if I didn't have to finish, um, the show, but the, the, also those of you watching this and watching the replay, doc Williams with a $15 super chat. I got here late Roberto. You're great. Thank you so much, doc. Like those, um, those of you who are watching the replay of this happen in real time, or you're listening to this in the audio podcast, this is something that is achievable. It's not overnight success and it's not something that will just happen for every small creator out there or anyone getting, um, you know, getting started. But the thing is, it is something that can happen as an inevitable consequence of you being consistent, you being committed, and you trying to build something. This is the reward of the consistency that I had at the end of this previous year with building up the podcast, bringing it back and going Monday through Friday and doing it consistently and putting out so many episodes. This is the the, the thing about the commitment of, hey, even though it's late in the evening, I showed up today because I said Monday through Friday, um, you know, um, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, you can only do, I think there's only so many super chats you can do. I think there's like an upper limit. Um, so this is like, this should be a, an example to all of you that there's, there's a tremendous thing that can happen. That is a reward of quality content, community building and consistency and being committed. Like those things inevitably breed some level of success on a long enough timeline. Technically T coming through with the uh, 1999 super chat. Keep up the great work. Always fun, man. Always an inspiration. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so um, becoming a farm girl, $9.99. Appreciate you. You guys don't have to super chat anymore, by the way. It's like, um, I love this, but it's also just like, <laughs> again, I'm emotionally overwhelmed here. Um, so, so for me, when I look at what's possible for creators today, when I look at what's possible for creators today, by the way, my Twitter for everybody in the live chat and on the replay, my Twitter is at Roberto Blake. My Twitter is at Roberto Blake. Um, so Caleb James, uh, Technically T, everybody else, like all of y'all uh, hit me up in Twitter. Um, Doc Williams, like everybody who's super chat tonight, hit me up in Twitter. I want to do something uh, nice for all of you. But like the ability, the ability of a content creator to build an audience and community. It's never been as possible today with the technology we have. It's never been as possible as today for you to build your 1000 true fans, your 1000 true fans that will support you with their eyeballs and their wallet and will show up for you. And you can do that across platforms. It doesn't have to be YouTube. I've seen people crush it. Like my friend, Judy Fox, my friend, Judy Fox is like the queen of LinkedIn right now killing it my boy viper is crushing it on clubhouse he is a master clubhouse mc and it's gotten him real world speaking gigs it's been tremendous for him he he's a smaller youtuber but he's killing it in other platforms and he's like the biggest small youtuber there is at this point and he's extraordinarily well connected in the community and creates a ton of value and everyone loves viper so you you have that there there are people that i know who are huge on Twitter and it's their main platform at this point, bigger than all their other platforms. There are people I know who could not make it on YouTube who went to TikTok and killed it and got to like a million followers in TikTok in like a year, 
in like a year, I'll probably try to bring some people on the show who did that. But it's like, um, you can build community through your content in a lot of different ways and a lot of different platforms. You don't have to necessarily do YouTube, like I was saying earlier. And when you build a true relationship and you build depth with your audience and you give them value and they like the experience, they like to show up, they like your streams, they like your short form content, they like your humor, they like your personality. Or if you're me, they like your bluntness, your bluntness and your take no prisoners attitude about things and the fact that you just, you know, just go in. For me, it's I think they like my radical honesty. They like my radical candor. They like the fact that I just like lean in. And um, I'm not pulling my punches because, again, that's the rarity of this age and of this culture is like, is somebody going to tell it like it is? Right. And I'm not trying to be edgy either. That's the thing you can. I don't try to be edgy. I tell it like it is. It's my real personality. Anyone who's been to a speaking event with me already knows that I'm hella consistent. I mean, T will tell you. T's been on the phone with me. T's met me in real life. What you see is what you get. <laughs> like what you see is what you get. Uh, T has seen me in real life. Tasha has seen me in real life. Um you know, Gabe has seen me in real life. They know that it's like, this is it. <laughs> like, this is it. What you see is what you get. Um, and so when, when you have a community, and this is what I love about live streaming, by the way. What I love about live streaming is um, you can't script it. You can't teleprompt it. You can't fake it. It is what it is. Who you are on stream is probably just who you are right? For the most part, unless you're playing a character like Dr. Disrespect does or what have you. So, so I believe that, you know, the, 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 the power of live streaming, something really important, I think, is the relationship aspect of it with the community, which is why, again, I'm a big fan of YouTube live streaming. I'm a big fan of Twitch live streamers is because, you, you know, that is probably one of the most straightforward ways to build a true connection with your audience, with your fans, because it's interactive and it's in real time and it's long form and they're spending time with you. People are committing to being with you for like an hour. Or if you're like a Twitch streamer, they're committing to being with you all day and multiple times and days a week. Some of y'all literally like hit me up and you're like, Hey, is there a podcast today? Is there a podcast today? And I'm like, I, I love it. And it's like, and holds me accountable to being consistent about the podcast. Um, Adrian says, I think honesty and integrity has something to do with it. I know I'm not getting fluff when you speak. Thank you so much, man. Let, yeah, yeah, no, that's important to me. Cause like, um, I think about, I think about what, what, what would I want as a fan, right? My friend, Brian Fanzo, uh, has a pun that goes with his name. He says, think like a fan, right? My friend, Brian says, well, think like a fan. So what I do is I put myself in the perspective of like, if I was a fan and for all the stuff out there what would be the most meaningful thing to me? And what the most meaningful thing that there could be for me is like, will somebody tell me what I want and need to know? Will someone tell me the things that I want and need to know? And will they be honest with me? And will they tell me what's in my interest and not just what's best for their wallet? Will they tell me the thing that is in my best interest and not in their best interest? Primary example of this. Here's a primary example of this. Like for me, a lot of times y'all hear me say something like, I tell people, that, hey, if you're not in business already, if you're not already making money or you're not already monetized, maybe you don't buy a YouTube course. Like, and because I, I haven't even built a YouTube course yet. You know, like, I don't have a YouTube course to sell you, not yet anyway. And I have, like, and I've been at this for years. I could have been selling a YouTube course years ago. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a few that I would recommend. Graham Stefan has a great YouTube course. Uh, Meet Kevin has a great YouTube course. Um, so, like, those are two that I could definitely recommend. But the the thing that I'll tell you is this. I'm like, if you're not monetized on YouTube, I would prefer you didn't buy a YouTube course unless you're already a business owner or you already have a really high income or good lifestyle or you were going to spend the money on something 
already. And so then I'm okay with it if it's disposable income for you, right? But the thing is, it's not in my interest to say, well, don't buy, don't buy coaches or don't buy court courses until dot, 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 dot. But I'm always honest about don't buy coaching or courses, from my opinion, until dot, 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 dot. Because here's the thing. I was broke when I started doing this stuff. I was broke when I started doing this stuff. I, I like almost couldn't like afford like basic things like a camera, like uh, at the time, like my camera was, uh, let me pull it actually from here. First camera that I made my YouTube videos with in 2009 is this like, you know, Bobo camera that looks like a toy here. This Sony HD Webby. This thing's a relic. This thing is a relic. This thing is from 2000, like eight, 2009. This is like, this is crazy, right? So for that, it's like, that's what I had though. So for me, working with what I have is what I could do. So there was no way for me, if I couldn't even afford a better camera than this $230 Bobo camera, right? Which was like all the money I had in the world. How would I ever buy like a $500,000 like YouTube course? The answer is I couldn't. I wouldn't have been able to. How would I be able to buy a $800 coaching call? or even a $200 coaching call? The answer is I wouldn't have been able to. So what I tell people is when you can't afford any of that stuff, your best answer is until you're monetized and you're making some money, maybe you hold off on that and you get to the point with free content and somebody's free content that helps you get to the point where you're making money, then you can invest in something like that if you believe in it. And if you've already made money because of the help of a creator, it's justified to reinvest and say, okay, I've made money with this creator already, so I'm gonna pay in to learn from that like creator. That's what makes sense to me. And if the creator has a book instead, then maybe the thing you do is you buy a $20 book or a $15 book or a $10 book, or maybe you get their book with like an Audible credit or something, right? Maybe you get the Audible book or you get somebody to lend you the book or if they have them at the library. One of the things with, I'm writing my book, and with writing my book, my plan is, I plan to donate a bunch of copies of my book to the libraries um, here in Georgia, and I plan to actually go take a trip up to North Carolina, back to the old town that I grew up in, and actually donate a couple uh, books to, to there, and maybe to like my old schools, right? So I'm like gonna go to all the old schools that I attended and like uh, donate my books uh, that I, you know, that I write to the libraries at these schools that I went to and the local area and stuff like that. Right. And what I'm going to also do is when I launch my book and I do the pre-sales of my book, people who buy the physical copies of my book, the hard copies of my book, I'm going to ask them to buy another book and donate it either to a person they know that can't afford it or to their local library or to a lending library or to a community center or to a school. I'm going to ask everybody that can afford it that buys a physical copy of my book to also donate a copy, to buy another copy and donate it. That's the thing I want to encourage, right? Because that's what would have been useful. Like what me, I, I when I was a kid, I worked at the Walden bookstore, right? Borders owns Walden and like, so Walden became Borders. So when I worked at the mall, it was one of my first jobs. 
one of the things I did was I actually benefited from working in the bookstore because I could borrow books for free and treat the bookstore like a library. And I could order books in that I wanted to read and do that. So I also supplemented some of my community college education by just ordering in and reading books. And so that really helped me a lot. So just being able to access free resources has always been part of my journey and what helped me because I was poor. So like if you can't afford um, to buy and invest in these things, I want there to be paths that exist for people. And that's why I do what I do. Now, what would be in my interest would be to say, you got to buy the course or you got to buy my course. It's like, we're, oh, run it on your credit card. Like, and I'm not going to do that because that wouldn't have made sense for me when I was in that situation. So if it wouldn't have made sense for me when I was struggling, why would I tell you to do it? If it wouldn't have made sense for me, why am I going to pretend it would make sense for you? You know, and again, not everyone's the same, but at least on the money thing, I think people can relate to that. Speaking of money, uh, we have another one. I think this is the last one of the night. We have another $50 super chat from Mr. Caleb James. Uh, la let me last one. Talk to you soon. Keep being yourself. Never change. I think you also had a question. I think you had a question about TikTok. Let me see if I can find it, Caleb. Um, and also at some point I'll have my friend um, Tosh on uh, because she is really, um, really good at TikTok. Like, I think she knows the TikTok algorithm better than I know the YouTube algorithm. Uh, Roberto, what is your thought on TikTok for business credit niche? Caleb, Caleb, TikTok probably needs you, Caleb, because there's so much bad financial advice in TikTok. There's probably so much bad financial advice in TikTok. Man, I could probably go on Twitch and just roast um, and react to bad financial advice on, um, on TikTok and cringy uh, business TikTok. That's probably what my Twitch will become. My Twitch will probably just become reacting and roasting things. So you just get spicy, Roberto. You just get spicy, petty, Roberto all day long on, on Twitch if I do that. If I start Twitch streaming on Saturday mornings again or something like that, actually, it'd probably be, it'd probably be Saturday afternoons with Roberto because like Nick Nimmin streams in the morning on YouTube, so I'd leave that for Nick. But it's like if it was Saturday afternoon or Saturday night because I'm bored and single, <laughs> if, I, if I did it Saturday afternoon or Saturday night, it would be like, you know, spicy, petty Roberto, probably just like roasting uh, cringy uh, business TikTok, right? I would just roast cringy business TikTok and that'd be like uh, my fun for the evening. That'd be how I entertain myself. That'd be how I amuse myself, um, you know, because of having no life outside of work. So like the, which I joke, cause I actually do I have art outside of like, outside of work. I don't just work all the time. I do art. Like that's the thing that I care about. I do art, I do crafts, I do home improvement now that I'm a homeowner. So that's what I do. And I do my photography stuff, um, my wildlife photography and my birding. But um, yeah, like, Caleb, TikTok needs you. TikTok needs you because it needs people who can actually make good, solid um, educational content, especially with young people on TikTok. I think young people are so disadvantaged in financial literacy that if you can bring quality content to TikTok that's meaningful, is educational, informative, and has a little bit of um, the right level of entertainment value, I think that um, you'll do very well there. And I think that it's needed. And I think that's what would set you apart. Um, also TikTok's demographic is starting to age up a little bit. So there's also that Caleb says you're honest and being bold. No one says it. Um, it's the, and it's the truth. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. Tosh says literally using your phone and watching, uh, your channel is more than enough to make it on YouTube. Oh, a hundred percent, like a hundred percent, like Mr. Beast got to 200,000 subscribers with a broken iPhone. I think it was like an iPhone four star Wars theory. He has 3 million subscribers. He was using like a phone and never even showed his face for like years 
for years. I see people get to a hundred thousand on their phone all the time. Um, you know, my friend Travis, he does everything uh, for his YouTube channel. He edits it, I think, on his iPad at this point. Um, yeah, Tosh says, uh, Caleb James, the community definitely exists on TikTok and it's not oversaturated. You're right. Yeah, it's not other, it's not oversaturated to make really good business and money content on TikTok. In fact, it's um it's saturated with um like TikTok is saturated with a lot of not great quality content in the financial space. So you'll do really well there with business, finance, credit, like, cause it's valuable and it's needed, especially for that younger generation. Graham is the man he mentioned you a few weeks back in his video. Yeah, it is. You know, when travel is more practical to do, when, 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 um, when travel is more practical to do, I'd love to hit up Vegas. Actually, I might have a consulting gig in Vegas early next year, and I might like hit uh, Graham and Andre up if that's the case. And Jack, Jack's amazing. I like actually really like Jack uh, Selby a lot, and I see uh, he's doing his own thing now, so that's cool. Gabe says, maybe off topic, but do you have an opinion on pushing the same sort of videos from all three platforms at once and consistently? Yeah, what, what I would say, though, is with short form content, if you're talking about TikTok, Instagram Reels and YouTube is I would slightly, slightly rotate and delay the release instead of releasing them on the same days on the same platform, because you should be batching the short form content anyway. That's why I'm stockpiling it and then I'm going to release it, because what I can do is I don't have to push the same video to the same day on the same platforms, I can still, I can stagger it and do a rotation of what goes to which one when, because I can, you know, just, um, I can do it from the same episode of the podcast. Like if I do something where I cut up the podcast, right? If I do something where I cut up the podcast, what I could do is if I'm cutting up the podcast, I could edit in, like I could have six YouTube shorts, that are gonna also be six TikToks and six Instagram reels from the same episode of the podcast, right? But what I can do that would make sense would be video six could go as a YouTube short, video four the same day could be an Instagram reel, and video two the same day could be a TikTok video. Cause I have the six videos all ready to go. I could just like change the order. Like I could preload and schedule the order for YouTube shorts could be videos. The videos might go backwards. Six, five, four, three, two, one, right? Six, five, four, three, two, one might be how they're released on YouTube shorts. And they might be released one, two, three, four, five, six on Instagram that same week. And then on TikTok, it might be two, four, six, one, three, five. And so that is how I would like, I would approach it that way. And I'm just using those numbers as an example. So like, that's how I would do it. And that's where for me, that would make sense. So that's because, and the thing is, it doesn't matter because people will consume and find the content where they want to do it. And the algorithms will behave differently. And I think it's nice to be able to compare the data to say, how did this perform? Like, how did this perform? So that's kind of like, my perspective on something like that. I know it's not off topic. That was actually a really good question, Gabe. See, I love, one of the things I love about my community is my community asks the smartest questions as the smartest people, and it's a whole thing. Yes. 
uh gabe says yes it would be batch seven videos some turns into 21 which is then uh why it's appealing i like the slotted approach you're saying thanks yeah no for me that makes that makes sense um and the thing is, this is the same thing with VODs, by the way. If you're doing VODs, like if you're a Twitch streamer or if you're a YouTuber and you're doing clips and you're doing like three to eight minute clips of like a two hour stream or something, I would approach it in a similar way with regard to, okay, I can take these clips. And so if you're me, if you're me, the place that you put your VODs of clipping a podcast to three to eight minute segments, if you're me, is you'd be posting them to a YouTube highlights channel. You'd post them on Facebook to try to get Facebook monetization because Facebook monetization is really good. So you'd be posting them there. You'd be posting them to LinkedIn as well because you can post videos up to 10 minutes as video on demand over in LinkedIn. That's less about monetization for now because they'll probably come through with that. Um, and that's more about just credibility in your network. Um, any of the videos that are under two minutes and 20, you post them also to uh, Twitter. And so, um, and then anything under like 10 minutes, you can also post to uh, IGTV, which will basically eventually just become Instagram video post. And so you would, you would do that for your highlights and you could still, again, do a rotation of them instead of posting same thing, same day, you could do a rotation of, okay, I have you know, five videos, you know, so like I go five, four, three, two, one in one platform, one, two, three, four, five in one platform, blah, 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 blah. You just, you know, you just switch it up and you um, schedule them and you try to basically automate that. And there you go. And then that's just wildly practical, just wildly practical. So that's how my approach to it would look like. And that's what would be different for me. That's what, that's what I would do. And that's why also stockpiling it before you do the bat, like when you like stockpiling gives you more flexibility on that kind of thing, as long as the content is not time sensitive in nature. So that's something um, that's important. At some point on my channel, I think I'm gonna have to do a tutorial about archiving and backing up your footage, by the way, that's gonna be one of those technical videos. It's gonna be like a tech Tuesday or something like that. Or I might have to put it on a one might like on my uh, creator gear guy channel. I might put it on both channels, honestly, but edit it or make the video make two separate videos make a like make a um like make a tips video or an intro video on backing up your stuff and then make like a really like thorough video on like the creator gear guide channel that's like uh you know a like straight up tech video um but like introduce like five ways to back up your content or something like that to back up your videos like so a five ways to back up your videos would be like the main YouTube channel video. And then if I did individual step-by-step -step tutorials of that, then that'd be like on my gear channel. Uh, her healthy home. And then uh, we're probably gonna wrap up here has a question. How do you keep up with video ideas that you might want to revisit? For me, um, I use Apple notes and that's part of my infinite um, idea engine. What do I like better? Infinite idea engine or endless idea? Endless idea engine might sound better. Endless idea engine. Endless idea engine, endless content engine, infinite content engine, infinite content machine, infinite content machine. That sounds about right. Unlimited content machine, infinite content machine. What do I call it? Something like that. Something like my um, infinite content machine right? Or my infinite um, idea bank. Yeah, my infinite idea bank. That sounds about right. Infinite idea bank. There you go. Infinite idea bank. Infinite idea engine. Infinite idea engine. There you go. 
infinite identity engine patent pending <laughs> right so infinite idea engine so like for me again i can use this podcast episode and i can source the comments from this podcast i can source the comments for this podcast later and all of this gives me ideas for more content to make just depending on what people want Miguel says, Roto, I'm trying to find resources on how to limit overstimulation and addictive social media behavior. I was wondering if you had any resources on the subject. Actually, Nate O'Brien made a video about his phone addiction and how he kicked it. And he's doing like all kinds of mindfulness stuff now. I think he's actually been like touring the country, living out of his van and stuff like that. So you might want to check out Nate O'Brien. And he has um, a video about um, phone addiction. You also might want to look into anything around dopamine detox. Uh, something I do. Uh, more of is literally putting my phone. Um, I have like the charger for my phone on the farthest end of my nightstand, which means it's very difficult for me to actually get to it if I'm in bed. So that, that helps <laughs> considerably. I also have routines. Like one of the things I did that helps is my office is downstairs. My bedroom is upstairs. So like most of my hardware is down here. So it's a little harder to work upstairs. So like I have some more separation now, and that's actually really helpful. So it's things like that. But I would look into um, a dopamine detox and I would look into Nate O'Brien and what he, his video about phone addiction. Hill North says, uh, someone is impersonating you on Instagram trying to sell phony Bitcoin. They use your same thumbnail and storyline photos. The only difference is your last name is starts in lowercase. Um, just report them for impersonation. If you guys ever see impersonators, definitely report them. I'm going to keep trying to get verified on Instagram. It feels impossible to get verified on Instagram. Guys, I might literally have to do something I don't want to do. I might have to literally go and pay a PR agency and pay them to... Uh, put out more press because I have legitimate press articles, but the only way apparently to get verified in Instagram, unless I talk to somebody over there about this, it feels like if you don't have a Wikipedia entry or you don't have a lot of recent, recent high profile press articles from the places they care about, it is impossible apparently to get verified in Instagram unless you have like hundred thousand followers or unless a PR agency can do it for you. I don't know who I have to pay at this because that's at this point, I'm convinced at this point, and this is not advice, by the way. This is not advice. At this point, I'm I'm convinced that I have to pay thousands of dollars to get verified in Instagram. I think the only way at this point to stop stop these scammers impersonating me is for me to get a blue check mark in Instagram because it's like the only platform that I'm not verified in besides TikTok. And it makes me vulnerable to these impersonations and to these scammers and makes my me vulnerable. So again, just to repeat for everybody, I'm not gonna do anything Bitcoin in terms of trying to sell you Bitcoin, advise you on Bitcoin, get you invested in it. I'm not going to do that. I am invested in Bitcoin and I believe in blockchain technology. But the reason that I am not going to be able to do like some, unless I like, I will probably never be able to do like a public NFT or blockchain project until I'm verified in every platform. Because until I'm verified in every platform, it, it's vulnerable to scams. I will not give you a WhatsApp number. I am not on Telegram at the moment. I will not give you a WhatsApp number. I'm not on Telegram at the moment. And it feels to me the only way I will ever be able to do any kind of like blockchain or coin thing, uh, if I want to do a project for my community, if I want to do something dope or cool like that, which would probably have like real world event 
things tied to it, meaning I would probably go the thing of not just, oh, you're just part of a digital community or this or that. It's like, there'd probably like be a real world event type scenario, like a conference or a workshop that I tie it to. I probably will never be able to do like a public offering type thing for my broader fan base. It'll probably literally have to be a invite only or at a personal thing that I do at dinner and literally go the complete off the grid secret society version of it because the, 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 the bloody impersonations are too vulnerable. There are too many impersonators or too many scams. I'll never be able to probably do a blockchain project unless I do it either in person, one-to-one invite only direct or only with people I know. And only if I literally build it like a secret society and don't do any kind of public offering, which kind of sucks because it'll exclude so many people if I go that route. But it's the only way I can see doing a project without being vulnerable to scammers impersonating me or ripping off my audience or, or, or faking people out. Cause like a lot of people like get scammed on these things, like as it is, there's some influencers that actually outrightly scam their fans. Uh, you know, Coffeezilla talks about this a lot. Like I'm beginning to think the only way I can ever do um, a blockchain project is to literally just do it as a secret society play, which kind of sucks because it just means that, um, you know, people who might otherwise really want to be a part of something may not get that opportunity because we, I just may not be able to connect with them. Like, and it is what it is, but it's like, it's the only way I think I can end up ever doing one of these projects until there's a better way to deal with scammers or to vet scammers or until um, such a time where I'm literally verified in every platform and thus less vulnerable to impersonation. And so like, I don't know what the answer to that is. Cause it's like, I either have to get like 50 or a hundred thousand followers in Instagram to be verified there. Cause that's the place where aside from trying to impersonate me in YouTube, which I'm going to talk to YouTube about a way to make it easier to verify that the channel owner is communicating with you. I'm going to try to get them to do a visual change to make that very, very clear uh, visually. Because um, there's a way graphically they could YouTube could limit the impersonation thing. There's a graphical UI UX design change they could make really easily that will make people less vulnerable to being scammed in the comment sections of YouTube specifically. And then as for Instagram, I'm going to try to apply to Instagram verification again and see if they finally give it to me. But I feel like at this point, I've been impersonated so many times. I've tried with them so many times that I'm either gonna have to do a PR play and get a Wikipedia entry so that they think that I'm good enough because like I've, I've checked these different things. I've talked to a bunch of people and it seems like that's the answer. Uh, because at this point I, I should be verified because sh I should be verified because I'm verified in every other platform. I'm verified in Twitter. I'm verified in Facebook. I'm verified on YouTube. Uh, I'm verified in Spotify and in Apple. So like I, I, I have a verified discord server too. Instagram is the hardest place for me to get verified at this point. And it's why it's the place where people try to impersonate me the most and try to scam my audience, you know? Um, I'm trying to like set up a protocol where I can automatically get my name in any new platform because I'm vulnerable to, uh, people impersonating me to try to scam my audience. And it's really frustrating. It's really, it's really annoying. It's really annoying. Uh, no, they don't let people submit like Insta, like Wikipedia is so gatekept by the way, Wikipedia is so gatekept and people like, the people who are obsessed like with internet stuff, like they're on Wikipedia and there's a certain culture of that. And they're also very anti-social media marketer. And a lot of them are very anti-social media influencer, believe it or not. 
like they're very like the anti-everything largely are some of the people who gatekeep online volunteer communities like Wikipedia. So it's really difficult to get um, in there. To be honest with you, I've done the research on it. I've talked to people about it. It's very difficult. So like that's, you know, so it's a problem. But what I do believe is this. I think it will be easier for my team to be able to spin up a Wikipedia entry on their own for me once I release my book. Because once I release my book, I'll have organic media, organic press coverage that comes from my book, especially local media, um, radio, maybe even local television. I'll have stuff like that um, here in Atlanta. So like that'll help. There will be articles. There will be like, like places of note that pick it up. So like once I do the book release and because I'm an author with an ISBN number and stuff like that, and that's a point of reference. And then if, uh, I'm an Amazon bestseller, then, um, with the help of my community, or if I get to be any type of bestseller beyond Amazon, that will make it a lot easier to justify getting a Wikipedia page. It'll make it a lot easier to potentially get verified in Instagram. So that's going to help tremendously. And then also there's uh, special things where there are, um, there's things that are done where like they have directories, right? Because they have directories for black authors, they have directories for Latino authors and so on. So there's um, things like that, that then also put you into a press junket. And then there's also other things that come from that, that then um, justify being it, like having references that Wikipedia will accept that are not self-promoting or, or, you know, things like that. So that's why, yeah, that's, that's what makes that thing difficult. I'll, I'll do a whole dedicated stream about that process, but yeah, it's really frustrating to be impersonated and it's really frustrating that, um, it's really frustrating that the impersonations and scams are still a thing. And I've had it happen so many times that by now Instagram should have just verified me because they see it's a problem. Uh, this is cute. How do we know this video itself isn't a deep fake live imposter? Because I just responded to that. <laughs> That's how you know. Um, DeBro, so no NFTs for Roberto. I mean, it's one of those things where, again, it's a problem to do it in a certain way because of the vulnerability of the, until I come up with a solution that would prevent uh, impersonation, scams, or anything that could defraud my audience, it's going to be something I have to hold back on. It's something I have to hold back. I believe in it, and I would want to do a project that has some either utility or real-world experience that you get out of it. But I can't do a public offering of that of any kind until or unless I figure out. I can't market or promote anything like that. I can't market or promote anything blockchain until I have a way to neutralize the impersonation and the scams. Until I have an anti-scam, until I have an anti-scam countermeasure, I don't have a way to do it. You know, I need some ridiculous level of an anti-scam countermeasure to be able to do it, even if it's something I want to do. And we're just not there yet. I have a long-term project that I've been working on that I'll drop in 2025. There's a long-term project in 2025 that I'm going to drop that's going to be really cool for people who've rocked with me for a very long time. Uh, so that's going to be dope for anybody that's just a long-time member of my community. But it's... Um, 
yeah, for an NFT project, until I have an anti-scam, anti-impersonation protocol that's better than the one I currently have, it's going to be a no from me. It's going to be a no from me. Um, the only NFT projects that I directly will like personally like uh like back will have to be from people that i've known for a long time like if my friend brian fanzo wants to do something um like it's one of those things where i trust him and he's a public speaker and so like i would let him talk about it or something like that right or if it's my friend timothy ham he's an artist from arizona he's like some of you might know him as i am sloth or sloth and and like he has a cool project or like if john hill wanted to do something uh sarah dici's fiance epic skateboard youtuber and vlogger john hill um, who's crushing it right now and also a tremendous artist in his right he wants to do something i would do something with him around one of his projects and just and like i would buy it to support him and that kind of thing so it's like i will buy and support and say hey look what i bought from people that I want to buy stuff from that I know personally and like, but it's one of those things to where it becomes very hard to publicly push anything in blockchain or NFT when I have people impersonating me and scamming me. So like it can't, ugh, so it's a problem. It's a problem. And I just need an anti, um, I need an anti scam protocol and an anti impersonation protocol to be able to ever do something with that and it sucks because i believe in the technology i mean square enix is doing something really cool right now with uh moving into like nft gaming um ea is doing something with that um other gaming companies um ubisoft is doing something ubisoft like the biggest companies in gaming the biggest entities in gaming are moving into nft gaming and the thing is we've already had um in-game currencies and economies and ecosystems and microtransactions so i'm for this because i'm like i'm a gamer i've always been a gamer i always knew this was the future right just like i knew esports was the future i knew esports were the future the difference is i didn't have the money to get involved like i my one of my biggest regrets in life is not owning an esports team right now maybe in my future i will by the way i've still i still think that in my um 40s if not my 50s, but for sure in my 50s, but in my 40s, I still believe I'm going to be an esports team owner. I still think I'm going to own an esports team or I'm going to own an esports organization or I'm going to be a heavy investor and partner in an esports org or in the owner's box. I really believe that. I believe that in my 40s, I'm going to own an esports team or I'm going to be part of an esports organization because I grew up, me and my friends grew up believing in esports since we were teenagers. Like we dreamed of esports being real and now it's here. And so like, I would now want to be like an investor. Cause like when we were kids, we wanted to be, we wanted to build the esports teams. Now that I'm not a kid anymore, I want to be the owner or I want to own the organization. So like for me, that's like a, one of those like, Oh, childhood dream come true scenarios. Right. I want to, I want to be an esports owner. Like before I die, I want to be an esports owner. Because I grew up dreaming about esports existing with my friends. We would talk about, it, we'd plan about, it, we'd dream about. It, we'd like sit there. We had like our team jerseys and logos designed and stuff like that. We set up gaming clubs back in high school. We ran tournaments in high school and in college. We played in tournaments at conventions in our twenties. Sometimes we actually won money and prizes and stuff like that. I was a competitive player back in my day uh, before this was all normalized. And stuff like that in the early days in the early days of this stuff i was actually competitive like very competitive 
Um, I just didn't like really make a name for myself outside of local or outside of like certain uh, conventions, right? So, um, so I would want to own an esports team. Adrian says, so an esports team is your own version of Gary Vee's own the Jets. I mean, maybe it's not like my big end game goal, um, but it's up there. But it's up there, you know. Because uh, it's back to my roots, and it's like as a kid. So, so yeah. So like that's something that I would definitely want to do. Um, that's something I would want to do. Like my closest thing to probably Gary Vee's owning the Jets is building the next PBS. Like building the next PBS, building twenty first century PBS is probably closer to me buying the Jets. Like if Gary Vee's goal in life is oh I want to buy the New York Jets, mine is I want to build the next PBS at some point like the 21st century build it from the ground up version of PBS, right? Because um, I want to do something with education. I, I want to do something meaningful with education one day that like really is impactful. And so I'm like, building the next PBS sounds about right for me. Because I grew up with that stuff, like LeVar Burden, Reading Rainbow, Wishbone, all that stuff, like, you know, Sesame Street, all of it. Mystery Science Theater, you know, so like... Um, all the you know documentaries the the wild america all that good stuff so that's you know so like like for me a lot of the things that i want to build and i want to make long term are about the things that were impactful and influenced my childhood that i think contributed to my personality my success or you know stuff like that or that i was really a fan of um so yeah so that's the you know so those are things that i think about a lot and that's what like and like lifetime and goals would look like for me for that yeah so like, yeah no, so like i'm really into this stuff and i'm really into the culture around it and so that's why it would be meaningful to me that's why the nft thing is so fascinating to me is because there's there's things here that to me speak to like what i grew up with with video games what i grew up with with being in the pokemon magic the gathering and Yu-Gi-Oh card game collector community so the collector aspect of it is real to me i was actually a digital artist and a traditional artist and a painter like before y'all knew me and I was a photographer. So like those things, the art aspect of these things also matters to me from a digital artist standpoint. So that there's, so there's collector standpoint, the art standpoint, the tech standpoint's fascinating to me. The gaming standpoint's fascinating to me. So like there's, it's a multifaceted thing to where I believe in this. And then even with the digital currency stuff, it matters to me. And I believe in the um, emancipation of that from the traditional finance system. Right. So, um, so to me, blockchain technology is one of the most meaningful things that's ever happened in our society. And I definitely want to be a player in that space in some meaningful way. I just have to figure out the anti-scam part of it. I have to figure out a way to make that work because I'm, I'm like, I'm annoyed by these scammers so much, so much. Um, and so like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't believe that is as big of a problem as people think it is, but I also think that people underestimate the implications of the problem in other ways, right? So for me, it's a middle nuance thing of like, I think some people exaggerate the level of impact of, of like the, the online scammers in one vertical, but then I think it's not giving enough attention in a different way in another part of the vertical, if that makes sense. So therefore the truth lies in the middle, right? It's not as bad, nor is it as meaningless as anyone would. It's in the middle, you know, it's like right smack in the middle, 
it's nuanced, right? Like most things, but nuance gets no attention. So that's the point, you know? So that's kind of how it is. So until I figure out a practical way to deal with it, it's, um, it's something I have to be very thoughtful, mindful, careful of, or not do it publicly. Um, as much as I like building in public, I like building in public. I like trying in public. I like failing in public. I like, I like doing things and just saying, Hey, here's the process. Let's go. But the problem is right now, there's not a good way to protect people while doing that in public in that way. So I have to figure out some, I have to figure out some other way to approach it. And I have to move very carefully, probably very quietly to do some project because otherwise it makes people vulnerable to scams, which I don't want to be responsible for in some way. So I've got to figure out what the mindful version of this is. I have to figure that out. I think that's a good way to bookmark the show. Like, um, so other than that, uh, it's been a great episode. Uh, thank you so much tremendously for guys making this like the biggest episode uh, from a super chat financial standpoint. I was not expecting that. I really do appreciate it. And like I said, make sure you follow me over in Twitter at Roberto Blake, Instagram at Roberto Blake. Um, unfortunately, not verified in Instagram, uh, but in Twitter, you'll see the blue check mark. Uh, thank you everyone so much for being part of the show live or watching the replay if you still are. Uh, and if you're live, stay tuned for the after show. Stay awesome. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.